Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Perkins Platform. This is a solutions-oriented podcast and live radio show. Each broadcast, we dedicate just about 30 minutes to explore topics of interest for leaders and professionals in education and a variety of other disciplines, and this is your host, Brian Perkins. Not unlike any other week, we are back. Happy New Year to everyone. Um, And we have a very, very special guest with us today as a part of what I'm calling our New Year primetime broadcast. And and deservingly, um, this guest is a uh, professor emeritus from uh, West Point, um, the U.S. Military Academy, as some may know it as, uh, and a a author and and just has been at the forefront of of teaching. Um, the history of of West Point and and a number of other things. I'm pleased to have today for this special broadcast, um, um, Dr. Ty Sidul. Ty, welcome. Oh, Brian, thank you so much. Great honor to be on your program. Well, glad to have you. And so, Ty, know that you are um, currently uh, a fellow at Hamilton College. But at least for me, you know, I know you've you've written a lot of other books. Um, and I actually uh, learned about you through uh, reading an article about the, the latest book that you, you have written, which is kind of the subject of why I invited you on, is the one, Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause. Um, and, but you have so many distinctions uh, to your record. I, I mean, I, I have to give you credit. I know that you served in the Army for more than three decades, uh, a brigadier general, a professor emeritus at West Point, and now you're serving on as the vice chair of the Congressional Naming Commission. And I, it just there's so much. And so I'm really honored to have you on the show. You know, before we got started, I told you, you know, I'd like to leave so much of what I talked to my guests about for the conversation and because I, I want it to be fresh. And, and so I want, I was, before we, we went live, I wanted so badly to ask you a little bit more about yourself. So I'm going to give you an opportunity first. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, specifically, what I want to know is um, about, you know, the courses you taught at West Point, about your military service, but I also have a big question about where you're from, um, because what really captured my attention was you, in the title of your book, A Southerner's Reckoning, and I'm sure other people who might be eavesdropping want to hear, too, about where, where you're from. So just tell me a little bit about yourself briefly. Sure. I, I'm a, yeah, I was a career Army officer. I, I came in the Army on ROTC scholarship through college and uh, served as an armor officer, armor and cavalry, uh, for the first part of my career, and then uh, became an academic, uh, got my Ph.D. from Ohio State, and served at West Point for almost 20 years, retiring uh, as the head of the history department there. Uh, and I, I taught uh, through, in fact, through Columbia Teachers College, through, taught the history of West Point. Uh, I've, I've written books on military history, Civil War, World War II. Uh, so that was my main concentration was, was on was, was military history. 
Um, but I was I, I am a, a, a white Southerner, and I grew up in uh, Alexandria, Virginia, is where I was born until I was 13. I uh, went to high school in Georgia, uh, and then college at Washington and Lee University in Lexington, Virginia, uh, before mm-hmm. starting my Army career. And in the Army, you know, also stationed in the South at Fort Benning, at Fort Bragg, uh, mm-hmm. and elsewhere. And, and yeah, I am a, a member of the of the chief, uh, vice chair of the commission that's going to rename all those bases as well. So I'm really mm-hmm. proud of that, mm-hmm. of the work that we're going to be doing on that. Sure, sure. Well, um, it's, um, like I said, such an honor and pleasure to have you. It's interesting that, um, you know, not to discredit your Southern roots, you know, I, I'm, I'm originally from Alabama and it took me a mm-hmm. long time. It was actually not until I moved to Connecticut after college did I even think of Virginia as being the South? We, you know, we, we used to call, we used to call Virginia up North <laughs> to be honest with you. So it, it is, it, but it's, it's great. Uh, but now, as I got Alabama, to, are you from LA? Are you from LA? Or are you from where in Alabama are you from? No, I'm, I'm actually, or? yes, I'm born and raised, went to high school in Alabama, Southern roots through and through mom and dad, family. Yeah. A lot of people still live there. Um, but I'm from, um, a small, small town. I always say it's, uh, infamous and famous. It's, uh, famous because it was the birthplace of Helen Keller. And that is, um, uh, you know, in Tuscumbia, Alabama, Muscle Shoals area. Right. Um, right. but right. yeah. And, and, but it's infamous because during my childhood, it was one of the, uh, national headquarters for the Ku Klux Klan. So I say it's famous and infamous. Wow. So, um, and, and so, uh, so one of the things, you know, and I, I, cause I definitely want, uh, everyone who is listening in to know that I wholeheartedly recommend your book about Robert E. Lee and me. I think I told you when I, when I wrote to you to ask you to be on the show that, you know, growing up, I grew up in the South, but you know, the, the high school that I went to is actually named after a um, a confederate general um, and who also attended West Point. Now, he attended West Point after Lee, but I just thought it was so fascinating that so however it ended up, and it is still named for the same gentleman who who died in in uh, the Civil War, but he was uh, he he went to West Point, served initially in the Union Army, and then uh, um, you know uh, became a member of the Confederate Army, and and it was just a lot that was similar uh, to th- this story, um, and and so what fascinated me so much about what you had to say. And again, I, uh, the title of the book, for those of you who are listening, Robert E. Lee and Me, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause, is that I was often confused about how, um, how Lee, in spite of all that had happened with his, his oath, taking an oath to the U.S. government and the U.S. Army, and then taking up arms against the army and i thought you know for me it just was a disconnect even though i didn't understand and and then just over time under kind of being exposed to what happened after the civil war and the the great efforts that people went through to make sure like my high school that schools were named after these confederate soldiers and even as you are part of this commission 
even army bases, which is the greatest contradiction right. to me. But anyway, I I, yeah. um, I I want you to tell me a little bit about like what what made you uh, embark on this this not just the journey of the book, but this uh, this topic and trying to uncover was it was it more for you a um, kind of a reflection. Um, of what what you had kind of grown up with and 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 grappling with it, what exactly made you tackle this project? Yeah, well, well I think there are a couple things it did. I mean, what really led me to do this was was first, you should know, I grew up um, thinking that on a scale of one to ten, uh, Robert E. Lee was an eleven, and even oh, though wow. I was an Episcopalian went to church every Sunday, I would mm-hmm. have put Jesus at about five. So my understanding, my, uh, it's true, my white oh my culture goodness. growing up in North yes. Virginia said that Lee was the greatest gentleman who ever lived, and I wanted wow. to be a gentleman. I wanted to be a Virginia gentleman. I wanted to be someone who, who had the status and power of that, um, uh. and so that's what I grew up in. In fact, while, while I was in, in grade school in Alexander, Northern Virginia, um, uh, I was bused across town. I'm really a child of integration. Um, mm. to, from the white elementary school named Douglas MacArthur to the segregated all-black school. And what was the name of that mm-hmm. segregated all-black school? Robert E. Lee Elementary Robert School, e. Lee. named wow. in 1961 mm. as a reaction integration. So I grew yeah. up in this. Um, but what, what happened was I was at uh, – at, uh, and then I went to high school um, in Monroe, Georgia, which is in Walton County, at a segregation academy. And, Brian, those are the schools that started after the enforcement of civil rights in, after Brown versus the Board in 1969 – Mm. These whites-only schools sprang up, private schools, like mushrooms throughout the South, and it allowed white kids to ensure they didn't have to go to school with black kids, and it meant that all the money, instead of going to tax dollars to black schools or integrated schools, went to these Christian or charter or segregation academies. That's where I grew to graduate from high school. And then for college, I went to Washington Lee University, which is named after Robert E. Lee. He was president of the school after he after the, the end of the Civil War, and and in fact, I was actually um, – I, I received my commission uh, uh, right next to a portrait of Lee in Confederate gray. In fact, I was surrounded by Confederate um, flags when I received my commission. And what I didn't realize, when I raised my right hand and took the oath of office, that oath that I took, uh, which anybody in the federal government who has ever served, is to protect, uh, support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that oath was written in 1862 – and who are those foreign, those, those, those domestic enemies? It's the Confederates. So mm-hmm, I, went, mm-hmm. I grew up in this. But when I realized through a couple of different things, through being married to someone who's incapable of lying, she, she's a, uh, my <laughs> wife is, a, is, is a married to a West Point grad and did not understand this, um, mm-hmm. and, and being an Army officer and changing my identity, really, to be an Army officer, and then studying the history, I realized that I could no longer live this way. Uh, mm. I couldn't do it. And so I, I really embarked. To, to do this, but the reason I knew I had to tell my own story, you know, historians never tell their own story. Historians yeah. tell other people's stories, but I did right. a memoir because I, because I realized that a memoir was the only way I could reach people. And in, and and in 2015, I did a video on the cause of the Civil War, and that video in 2015 it went viral. It had 30 million views, and people sent me hate mail because I said the Civil War was about slavery, and I realized. That history is dangerous. It goes after our myths and our identities. And anytime somebody challenges that myth or identity through history, the reaction is ferocious. And I got that with these death threats. And so mm. I, I knew I couldn't. I didn't reach people that way. 
And then when I was at West Point, I was trying, we had a new memorial room to recognize the 100 graduates killed in the wars uh, in Iraq and Afghanistan. We really felt the heat from that. I mean, it was just terrible how many we lost. And I mm-hmm. said we we're going to do this new memorial room. But the question, Brian, was should Confederate graduates go in it, those who fought against their country? And I argued, yes. oh, hell no. They, uh-huh. they, they fought uh-huh. against their country. They killed U.S. Army soldiers. They abrogated their oath for the worst possible reason to create a slave republic. So I gave mm-hmm. this to our leadership, and they said, no, Ty, we want to bring people together. We don't want it. We want to bring everybody wow. together. We want to include the Confederates. And so I went wow. back and talked to my wife about this, and I said, Sherry, you know, I just felt completely defeated. And she said, well, Ty, did they tell you did, – did you tell them why you're so passionate about this? Did you, did you tell them your story about where you came from, about why – I said, oh, hell no, Sherry. I, I'm, <laughs> sorry, I'm not going to tell my own story. That would, that would make me – that would open me up and show me – show people that I grew up as a racist. And so uh, I don't want to do that. And, yeah, but, yeah. But, I, but finally I gave a talk at, at, at Washington and Lee, the same place I got my oath, and I ta- called Lee a traitor for slavery. In mm-hmm. front of this nearly all-white audience, I called Lee a traitor for slavery, and they gave me a standing ovation. I said, here's the mm. way I can do it. By using my own life, by using my own path, I can describe the lost cause of the myth of the Confederacy. I can tell yeah. the truth about Lee, and I can yeah. get more people to agree that this, is the right, that this is the way they should think. Yes, yes. Wow. That is absolutely powerful. And And so – just going back to what you described, were you at all afraid of what might happen? You know, a lot of times when you when we give, we're asked to give these speeches, you know, it's, it's for people to appreciate it. Did you feel like people were going to stone you or boo or what, what, what was going through your mind when you did that? It's a great question because I was I, I gave the talk about a, a less than a month after the horror in Charlottesville. That's the white supremacist violence where where uh, you know a woman was killed and these these uh, 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 Confederate and Nazi flag toting um, racists were were uh, you know we had this violence there. And so I went to give this speech and I was scared to go back to my alma mater and tell them that they had to do better. They had to embrace this lost cause legacy. They had to understand where they came from and the, and the white supremacy that was so endemic to the, to that institution. And, and I was going to call their hero, uh, uh, Lee, a traitor for slavery. And you got to, you got to understand that right behind me, framing me was this yeah. recumbent <laughs> statue of Lee. And this I believe it. Statue, yeah. This statue of Lee is, has him asleep on the battlefield in the purest white marble and he is mm. ready to rise up to fight for his people, the white people of the South, to fight for white supremacy, to fight for his system, of, social system of slavery. And so, I, in fact, in the middle of the talk, I went back after I called Lee a traitor for slavery, and I went back and said, listen, is the statue cracked? No, it's okay. It's okay to be uncomfortable. I'm comfortable with being uncomfortable. And I, and I told the audience this. It's okay if you're uncomfortable. The uncomfortable is a good place to be. And, mm-hmm. and so I was fearful of it. Uh, and there were people there who did not like what I was saying. But overarchingly, oh, sure. it was like, oh, my God, the guy told the truth. And if you tell yeah, the truth, yeah. you're not, you're not going to be struck by lightning or swallowed hole in the ground. So I got an amazingly positive reception from my alma mater, sure. and I did not think I was going to get it. Wow, wow. Well, I think there are a number of things that are very powerful about it is that, you know, sometimes um, the fact that you, you went there – they didn't think necessarily that you you had some end game that was to make 
you know, the university look bad because here you were a graduate. It's like, look, I have, I, I have a story to tell. And, you know, there are a lot of us that have been thinking about this the wrong way. Shucks. I was one of the ones that was thinking about this the wrong way too, for a very long time. I think that, that made a big difference, but there's so much about just being honest in your own story uh, that that makes people open up is that if he can say this about how he used to think or why he used to think it, uh, it's worth my consideration. You know, I, you know, as I told you, and, and even still, I don't think it was ever even questioned um, where I grew up. And, and, and perhaps if there are people who are listening from that town, uh, they may, you know, I might hear it again uh, when I go back to visit, but is that I don't think it was even, it, it has been um, thought about that, you know, they should name or rename this school. You know, one of our rival high schools in in another city was, of course, Lee, Lee High right. School. And there are Lee High Schools all throughout Alabama. Um, but, you know, when I was in the Boy Scouts, I, there were, there were actually, I learned much later, there were these two older guys that eventually went on and both um, uh, got commissions to West Point. And I, as a Boy Scout, you know, um, you hear and you, you want, you know, you listen to people talk about things like honor and courage and discipline and integrity. And I, you know, so I would hear that. And then to have that where you had someone like Lee and others, and even, as I said, my, the, the gentleman for whom the school is named, um, who then took up arms against the United States. And so I, that is, that's major. But if you think about, if I'm not mistaken, Benning, that was also one, was it not? Um, was it Benning? Oh, yes. Benning. Yeah, yeah. And, and so how do people reconcile that, though? It just seems to me to be really in your face. How, how do, when you're, when you're talking is. about it. How, well, how do think, people recognize it? Yeah, well, the, what I try to do is to tell the story of why it came about, and that's what we've got to understand. So there's this, I mean, just to quickly say what the lost cause myth is. So if you imagine that the, that, the, um, uh, that the South went to war to protect and expand the institution of slavery, they had an idea to create a, 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 a country that would expand into Cuba, Mexico, Latin America, California. They wanted to have their slave system everywhere and expand it. Well, not only did they lose, they lost everything. They sowed the wind. They reaped the whirlwind. How to come to terms with this defeat? And by the way, with the 13th Amendment that ended slavery, 14th Amendment guaranteeing equal protection of the law, 15th Amendment giving the vote to all men, not only they actually were facing to them the catastrophe of equal rights for all Americans, including black men. Mm-hmm. And, and so they came up with this lost cause myth, and the lost cause myth is – to deal with this slavery, and I'll tell you what the purpose is, but first what it is is that the war wasn't fought over slavery, which is just bull hockey. It's not true. The war was totally fought over slavery. The second myth is that enslaved people were happy and hardworking. Well, that's a monstrous lie. Slavery featured rape, the lash, torture, and the worst thing was splitting families apart for profit. Imagine just telling them apart, and even worse than that is that rape was an endemic part of this. Many white boys and men had their first sexual experience with an enslaved woman. 
So another one is that that uh, uh, that reconstruction, that era from 1865 to 1877, was evil and a failure because black people weren't ready for the vote and weren't ready mm-hmm. to hold high mm-hmm. office. When in fact, 2,000 black men held high office, and and Reconstruction Mm -hmm. was the best chance at biracial democracy until the late 1960s. And at the top of that myth was Robert E. Lee, the finest man who ever lived. But there's a purpose for it, and that is with with this lost cause is the ideology along with segregation laws, Jim Crow, white terror, lynching, black disenfranchisement, and these Confederate monuments are all the, 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 the pillars of a white supremacist, a racial police state. That, uh, mm-hmm. that was there in the South. And so the purpose of these is nefarious. It's a, it's a terrible purpose to ensure white political power at the expense of black people. So that's mm-hmm. why these things are so important. It's why Confederate monuments are important. It's why yeah. the lost cause and knowing about these things are so important. It's because they have a terrible purpose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. As I mentioned to you right before we went live, um, I had the honor and distinction to have um, Mitch Landrew on the show for the hundredth episode, um, and um, I told I I just had such tremendous respect for him. Um, he had, as you know, his family is a long-standing political family in New Orleans, and um, but I remember seeing him on CNN when when people were saying that these statues had to come down, and as you know. Um, anyone who's ever visited New Orleans at one point, there were Confederate statues on every corner. <laughs> you know, it was just just yep. replete with Confederate statues. Yeah, and and one famous one, which is no longer Lee Circle, but this major kind of circle, and in the middle is this was this um, this statue on a on a on a column, and Lee at the top. Um, I remember seeing him on CNN when he said people were saying uh, to him as the mayor, well, let's talk about this. And he and just quite frankly, I remember so distinctly on CNN, he said, what is there to talk about? Take the damn thing down. You know, he was like, this is not it's just has to come down. Yeah, I love that about him. And I, I, I mean, he was so brave to do that. And of course, you know, the other thing about it, he didn't get there on his own. It was Wynton Marcellus. I'm sure he yeah. told you this. Yeah, He's the yeah. one that told him about it. And, mm-hmm. and of course, mm-hmm. so many people don't think about the purpose of these and what, what it's there and what it means to a diverse community. And, and it really is. And, you know, I'll just tell you about Robert E. Lee. I got to tell you about Lee, if you don't mind. Yeah. So why, yeah. Lee never visited New Orleans. But I mm. say that Lee chose – Robert E. Lee, this is the commander of the Army of Northern Virginia, the most important military figure, really the most important figure, period, for the Confederacy. And he served over 30 years in the United States Army and then abrogated his oath. He chose treason. And I use that word very, very uh, yes. purposely. There's, mm-hmm. only one, there's only one crime in the Constitution, and that is – um, Article 3, Section 3, which is that, that treason is levying war against the United States. Now, Lee was indicted after the war, never convicted, but can we, can we just agree that did he levy war against the United States? Completely. Moreover, yeah. there were eight U.S. Army colonels from Virginia, all West Point graduates, in, in 1861, and seven of them remained loyal to the United States. And Lee mm. and only Lee chose treason mm. to fight against the United States. And mm. why did he do that? 
to preserve slavery. There was, he yeah. was the largest holder of enslaved people in the U.S. Army. He spent two and a half years on administrative leave from the Army running Arlington and other plantations. So I don't like to call them plantations, Brian. I like to call them yes. enslaved labor farms because mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. words we use mm-hmm. are important. And I like Lee Kamee chose treason. And that, that's the other thing. But he broke apart enslaved families. He whipped men and women. Um, during the war, his army was an enslaving army. His logistics, 8,000 men and women were his logistics trade. So when he went north into Gettysburg, he brought eight to 10,000 enslaved workers with him. And by the way, his army then captured three black people in the north to bring them back to the south for sale. Oh, mm-hmm. So this mm-hmm. is somebody mm-hmm. – that we should not recognize. And, and remember, that commemoration, like that statue in Lee Circle, is about who we honor. It's not changing history. It's changing right. who we honor. And who we honor right. represents our values. And if That's our right. values, our commemoration doesn't, doesn't jive with our values, then we should change that commemoration to ensure it does. That's right. Absolutely. Very, very well said. Um, and, and so – now we have what is obviously a reframing you know this this is part of what's what's happened and when and for me not talking about uh where you've heard the phrase that this is uh not racism it's it is um looking at legacy and looking at heritage it's 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 not about racism and 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 certainly there were a lot of people who who lost family members the I, where I grew up, two blocks away um, is, a, is a cemetery. And to this day, you're, so now there's a new section of the cemetery where blacks and whites can be buried together. But, but I mean, the, 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 the cemetery, two blocks from where I grew up, is, um, it has a lot of Confederate soldiers there. And the one that I just mentioned is buried there. That is the namesake for the school. And but, you know, you don't hear people speaking, obviously, as candidly about what it was. And and I, I for me, I just I say that there's 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 a lot of value in the truth. And some people talk about the value being that you won't repeat it. It's just that it is yeah. what happened. And so let's not reframe Lee as a hero. Uh, when his actions were actually something else. And so I'm just curious about how, how you've encountered people um, when you talk about the, you know, like when you use the words, and I, I am so appreciative, thank you for the language, um, that you are intentional about calling it what it is. Um, do people accuse you of being, you know, like uh, someone that is, 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 spouting this division among people? Because, see, that's another thing I hear, that that's causing division among people. Um, what are you experiencing? I, I mean, I do try – the language is so important. So I, you know, I don't say it's the Union Army. I say it's the United States Army, the same army that mm-hmm. I am in. I say I'm a soldier who doesn't like people that killed U.S. Army soldiers. Nobody killed more U.S. Army soldiers than Lee. So mm. I, I tend to go back at them hard. And the, the thing about it is I'm a white Army officer from the South, and mm-hmm. so, you know, they're not used to that. I'm cognitive dissonance in a way. They're not used to somebody <laughs> like me talking sure. about this. But, mm-hmm. I'm, I, but, but for the most part, when, six or seven years ago when I gave that, that talk about 
Civil War for slavery, I got – it was 10, 20, 30 to 1 negative. Now mm-hmm. it's probably 10, 20 to 1 positive. Now I still get okay. plenty of social media haters, but they're, sure, they're, sure. But they're just wrong. And mm-hmm. I, I will, with my last breath, continue to say Robert E. Lee chose treason to preserve slavery. The Confederacy was an evil thing because it was fighting for, to create a slave republic, which all Americans should find repugnant. It is a repugnant thing. Slavery mm-hmm. was, is, and will always be wrong. And we always have to remember the purpose. The purpose of the Confederacy was to create a slave republic. That's mm-hmm. what its purpose was. There's no other difference but slavery. And, as long, we should, we, and we should have no problems with it. Listen, we don't own the actions of those in the 1860s or even the 1930s, but we do have a responsibility to be honest about the past because because the only way to prevent a racist future is to first understand our racist past. The only way mm-hmm. to know where to go is to know where we've been. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, I know we're, we're running out of time, but I just want to ask you, so now you're the vice chair of this naming commission, and um, I've heard a, and read a number of of reasons why and how some of these institutions like a a army base as important as Benning was named after someone um, uh, that that was not worthy of the honor and and so as you've as you've now considered the renaming um how did most of these places that you you are considering um, how did most of them get their names? Is there any trend or any pattern among um, how these recommendations came? Uh, because, you know, yeah. not, not, and, and not just those, I, I assume these, where, since it's a congressional naming commission, it's limited to the things that Congress has control over. But what I, what I think about is there are parks, and some of them are national parks, but some of them are state parks, I've done a little bit of research myself, and, I, and it turns out that a lot of these places that are parks were named in the 1960s for these Confederate right. generals and otherwise. But, um, but back to my question is, is there any kind of trend or pattern that you see among how they were named? Yes, they were named in World War I and World War II when black people did not have the vote in the South, when it was a segregated mm-hmm. racial police state, and the Army was a segregated and white supremacist organization. Now, the, mm-hmm. uh, so it's very clear why they do it, because because black people did protest these names, but they had no power because they had been disenfranchised violently. And remember, there are soldiers that are lynched during this period. Um, mm-hmm. So that, that's mm-hmm. the first thing. And then the second thing is is that the, the commission has only uh, authorization over Department of Defense, not either state things or National Park Service. So, I, I, so they're, they're, we, are, we are limited in what we're doing, but that's still a big deal to get rid of things like Benning and Rucker in Alabama and Bragg mm-hmm. and Hood and mm-hmm. Lee and those things. So I'm very excited about that work. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, you know, last thing, my, my father was um, a part of a, a segregated um, uh, corps. Uh, he, was, he was in Guadalcanal in World War II. And oh, he, wow. um, yeah, and he talked about that, um, just what it felt like getting on the train, going to California and, you know, just, it was just them. But I asked him a lot of questions about, um, serving and, and just being a part of the only, 
you know, that the, everywhere they looked, you know, it was just only, you know, black men were going in these right. certain places. And, and I, it, it just as a part of it, he, I remember because I, I was actually in high school by this time I asked him, I, cause he never talked about it. And I said, so you, uh, I said, so I guess you never saw much fighting or anything, right? When you were in the army and he just laughed, he was like, I was in Guadalcanal. Like it was the first time he talked yeah. about it. He said it was like one of the bloodiest theaters there was it in was. The, you know in World War Two. Everybody fought at Guadalcanal. Everybody yeah. fought. I mean, it was <laughs> everybody. Worst, worst, yeah. It was one of the worst of the worst. But it, it yeah. also shows you that in the South, in fact, the German prisoners of war and Italian prisoners of war in the South had more things that they could do. They could go to lunch counters where the black people in the South, who include the soldiers, could not. Could not. So is, That's this right. This is the kind of thing yeah. we they could not. So the only way that we can have reconciliation as Americans is to first accept the truth. And if we accept the truth, it will make us an empathetic people. It will make us a better people. It will make us a more fair people. So I'm I'm bullish at the fact that we can if we if we look at our history, we can do that, and we can tell the story of your dad fighting in Guadalcanal. We can tell the story of segregation, but we can also tell the story of how we ended those things. So That's all right. of these are an important part, but we've got to be more honest about our past. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Todd, thank you so much. This conversation has been so enriching. I, um, now I'm going to get your, your, um, address so I can send my book. I need you to sign my book. Um, so I'm going to send it to you and you do with with return postage, um, because I really want you to sign it, but I learned a lot from you today and I know people listening in did too. Um, you know, standing invitation, you back in at, on Columbia's campus, let me know after all this COVID is over. Um, love to sit down and have lunch with you at the faculty club. Would love to do that. Um, but I'm wishing you well with all the work and any future projects you have. Um, and so, again, for those of you listening, uh, the title of the book is Robert E. Lee and Me, uh, A Southerner's Reckoning with the Myth of the Lost Cause definitely worth it and i'm i'm gonna go back and look because i had not seen the lecture that you did online uh but i'm gonna look on youtube and 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 take a look at that same one but uh until we meet in person um ty go well stay well brian thank you so much had a great conversation really enjoyed it thank you take care